Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week. Hope you had a safe and enjoyable holiday weekend. This week, we're going to discuss illiquidity. Real estate can give you a secure, stable investment. You get a nice cash yield. Your investment grows in value and you get these wonderful tax advantages. So what's the catch? Well, the catch is illiquidity, the level of liquidity you have. And we're going to discuss what it means and how to deal with it this week. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me, pat at marapolling.com. Or you can go to marpolling.com and pick a time on my calendar and happy to have a live chat with you. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. All right, with that, we'll uh, dive in here. So illiquid, what's, if you haven't heard that word or if it sounds like a, an odd word, uh, let's, let's just go to the uh, definition for it. So uh, used my handy Google dictionary and illiquid is a group of assets not easily converted into cash or in a marketplace it's a marketplace with few participants and a low volume of activity so when we look at real estate it's not really a low volume market of activity is it you can there's lots of deals happening all the time where properties are bought and sold there's a lot of energy involved in doing that, though, right? It takes uh, time and energy to do it. And we're going to go over some financials here in a minute that restrict just how often you're going to be able to do that. So it's not necessarily that the market is small. Now, if you're an investor in a syndication, so if you're an investor with Mara Poling or if you're an investor with another sponsor, your ability to sell your position to someone else may be limited or non-existent. Uh, and I will talk in a little bit about how we deal with that uh, within our total return fund and other investment offerings that we have. Uh, you may or may not have access to some level of liquidity in your investments with your sponsors, but we'll at least share what we're doing. It really is the first part of that definition, that they're not easily converted into cash. Uh, and it's because there's a lot that's involved in it. So, so let's back up and look at the, the premise I set up at the very beginning. Multifamily real estate, and in particular the way we practice it, the conservative approach, the Goldilocks Class B assets, light value add, growth markets, so on and so on, can provide a secure, stable platform for your real estate investments. That's a good thing you get a cash yield. Maybe it's modest in the beginning of an investment, three, four, five percent. Maybe it's uh, a little higher than that, uh, but it's gonna grow. It's gonna grow to six, to eight, to 10, and you're gonna get to a place where we think within a normal hold period for an asset, you can see an 8% cash return, something in that neighborhood. At the same time, your investment's growing in value. So you put $100,000 into a piece of real estate in five years, it's worth $140,000, $150,000, $160,000. Uh, 
as you can see, together, the cash return and that equity growth doubles your money in a five to seven year time frame with a pretty conservative model. That sounds wonderful. Why on earth wouldn't you invest in that? And on top of that, you get all those great tax advantages. So why isn't everyone putting every dollar they've got into multifamily real estate? Well, the catch is liquidity, or more appropriately, illiquidity. It is difficult to take a piece of real estate, whether you own it directly, as some of you do in your own portfolios, or whether you are an investor with a sponsor in a syndication like our total return fund, it can be difficult to transfer those into cash. Now, if you look at the marketplace that's out there, all those things I mentioned, the security and stability and cash and uh, equity growth and tax advantages, those are differentiators from stocks and bonds, right? Stocks have some of those qualities, but not all. Bonds have a different set of those qualities, but not all. Real estate really checks all those boxes, but there are marketplaces that you can sell a bond in or that you can sell a share of stock in. You can invest in Tesla this afternoon and tomorrow decide that you don't like Tesla anymore and you can turn around and sell it. You might make a few dollars, you might lose a few dollars, but you can actually know exactly what you would sell it for because there's a marketplace you can go to. Real estate doesn't work like that. And so it, that is one of the differentiators, which is why a healthy, diversified portfolio is going to include stocks, bonds, uh, some other fixed income instruments, some cash, some commodities, maybe some gold, and we advocate for some multifamily commercial real estate. So let's look at the actual calculation of what level of illiquidity we actually have. And I'm going to do this twice. I'm going to do it once for a large syndicated asset, and then I'm going to do it a second time for an asset that uh, you might own individually, like a single family residence or a duplex or fourplex or something like that. So let's look at a commercial asset. Uh, you uh, and a number of other people invest with a sponsor and collectively you go buy a $10 million property and you're gonna get a 75% loan. So you need two and a half million dollars to buy that property. Great. Well, it costs some money to buy the property as well. You've got loan fees and due diligence costs and legal costs. And if you're working with a sponsor, the sponsor needs to get paid for their, at least their expenses in terms of that, if not an acquisition fee. So there might be a few hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollars of expenses. So now that $10 million property, you're not buying it with two and a half million dollars. You're buying it with, say, two point eight million dollars. And again, we advocate for these value add properties where there's an opportunity to make an investment to improve the asset. Plus, every asset that's purchased probably has a little bit of work that needs to be done to it. Collectively, that might be a million dollars, a million one, a million two, a million three. Let's say it's a million two. That means we've got two and a half million in down payment, essentially our share of the equity in the property, a few hundred thousand dollars in the costs of the acquisition, 
and then a million plus. That gets us to about $4 million, which typically is the amount of money we would invest in a $10 million property. So that $10 million property, if I turned around and sold it the very next day, right? I buy it and then decide, just like I said I would with the Tesla stock, I decide that I don't want to own this anymore and I go to sell it, we'll make an assumption that I can get $10 million for it. I'll come back to that because that may or may not be true. And I can pay my loan off, but that's only leaving me $2.5 million. Well, if I do it the very next day, I probably haven't spent all of the capital. But if I actually sold it six months later or a year later, well, I've probably sunk a third, half, maybe two thirds, maybe even all of that capital into the property. And some of that capital is going to take time to mature the value add capital, for example. When you're doing those unit improvements, yes, you get rent movement, but that rent movement has to be seasoned before a buyer or a lender will look at it and count it, meaning that it takes time, about two years to be able to go through that process. So if I sold the property for 10 million, I only get two and a half million dollars back out of 4 million that I put in and it's going to cost me some money to sell it. I've got to pay a commission. And the one of the biggest items is when I went and got that loan, I cut a deal with the lender in which I said, I'll borrow the money for this amount of time. I'll pay you this interest rate. And I don't want you to be able to come after me personally or any of my investors personally. I want this to be a non-recourse loan. And with a couple very small exceptions, that's what they agree to. They also ask that if we decide to pay the loan off early, maybe it's a 10-year loan, maybe it's a five-year loan, but if we decide to pay it off early, that we pay them essentially the value of what they would have made over the balance. You'll hear a term called defeasance or yield maintenance. Think prepayment penalty. That's what it is. It's essentially a way to give the lender the profit they would have seen over that period of time. If interest rates, by the way, are falling, that number can actually shrink a little bit. If they're rising, uh, pardon me, if it's falling, um, uh, you'd see it uh, uh, rise a little bit. If, it's, if interest rates are rising, you'd see it shrink a little bit. Um, but on a $7.5 million loan, you could have a half a million dollars, $700,000. You could have a million dollars in defeasance, meaning that if you sold it within a few days to six months to a year, you might only get $3 million, $2.5 million, $2 million of your money back. That's half of what you put in. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad investment because when we're investing in real estate, we're investing for longer time frames than a day or six months or a year. But if we tried to get out very quickly because we want to change our mind, this illiquidity takes half of our investment. That's a big hit. So it's very difficult, as you see, to convert it into cash. If we get a little farther down the road, let's get to two years and three years. Now we get to a place where 
The defeasance is getting a little smaller. I can sell it for more than $10 million. By then it's maybe worth 11 or 11 and a half or 12 million because I've grown the network, the uh, net operating income, the NOI. So as that occurs, I'm getting more of my money back. At some point in time, I would get my entire 4 million back, which means we've experienced enough growth in the value of the asset to cover the costs of the exit, right, the sale expenses, to cover any defeasance, and to recover all the sunk costs we put in in terms of capital improvements and the cost of the acquisition up front. Now we get to start making money. And over the balance of that time frame, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, the sixth, the seventh, whatever the time frame might happen to be, is where we see that 10, 15, 20% growth in equity that gets you to the average numbers that I talked about uh, at the top of the podcast here. Um, even then, though, when I decide, wow, look how valuable it is, let's tap that. If I'm going to sell it, we're looking at at least 90, if not as much as 180 days to get the property sold and get that cash in hand, assuming that we're going to actually completely exit. So not an easy process. If I want to continue to hold the asset but refinance the debt or put some additional debt on and that's how I'm going to get some cash out, that's how I'm going to liquidate a portion of this position, I can do that, but it's not going to happen in one day like it would in the stock market. It's going to take 45 days, 60 days, maybe even longer, and I wouldn't get as much cash out as I would if I sold. So everything about real estate is great. It simply isn't something that you can buy and sell quickly. And in the sponsor world, well, that's what it looks like for us. It's very difficult if it's an individual asset syndication to allow the individual members to, to leave, to buy and sell their positions in part because it's uh, challenging with the diff different valuations. And there's no extra cash there, right? There's no money in that deal to be able to buy people out to make that happen. So typically, if you invest in an individual syndication, you're along for the whole ride. You're going to be there for the five years or seven years or whatever the whole period is. So the money you invest should be money that you are thinking about having in place for that kind of time frame. Uh, is it a bad thing? No, it's just different than what you might see with stocks or bonds, right? From that standpoint. Now, let's talk about this if you're doing an individual investment, right? So you're going to go buy a duplex. You go down to your local bank. They agree that they're going to give you a loan for it. And you're buying, let, we're going to make the math uh, easy-ish easy for me here. We're going we're gonna to make the assumption that you can buy this asset for uh, $400,000. So you're buying a duplex, triplex, fourplex for $400,000. Uh, you're putting $100,000 down. You have some expenses. You have some points. You have to pay the bank on the loan. Uh, there may be some expenses you've incurred with some inspections that you've done. 
having a, your lawyer review the, the contract that you signed, the purchase agreement and so on. Um, so in addition to the $100,000 down payment that you put, you might have another ten dollars or $20,000 maybe in expenses that go with it. So now you've got $120,000 and your plan is to put $50,000 into these uh, units and make improvements so that you can move your rent. So you've got a $170,000 investment. Now you may or may not have prepayment penalties and you may or may not be personally responsible for those loans. So those are some differences to keep in mind. But as you can see, you can't sell the next day for the 400,000 you bought it and get your 170,000 back. You're only gonna get $100,000 back. Now, if you haven't spent all your capital, you get some of it back. But again, do that over the course of six months or a year. You probably have spent all of that capital money. And unless you can sell for more than $400,000, you are not recovering all of that. Plus, you're going to have the same costs at the exit. So other than the defeasance slash yield maintenance slash prepayment penalty, the experience you're going to have as an individual investor with a duplex or fourplex is the same as what a sponsor and the investors are going to have in a large commercial property, a $10 million multifamily property. Now, um, we do something a little bit different. Uh, when we uh, developed and designed the total return fund, one of the items we wanted to address was this issue of illiquidity. There's really not a lot you can do about illiquidity in the first few years, as you can see. You're, you're kind of baked into it. But at a certain point in time, you do get to a place where if you're invested in a portfolio of assets, and that's how our fund is structured, and there may be other funds structured like this out there as well, I would encourage you to explore that if you're thinking about this kind of investment. Uh, because it's a portfolio of assets, that means some assets are in their first year or second year, meaning they're rather illiquid, but others might be in their third or fourth or fifth year, which would provide an opportunity either for some supplemental debt or refinancing that might free up cash, or they're actually going to be going through a sale exchange, which a sale exchange can be done in which there is some cash removed. It's called boot, and there is some tax exposure associated with it. In a portfolio, it can be offset by losses elsewhere in the portfolio. So the, this nature of having a portfolio of laddered assets, so a, a property that was purchased initially uh, in year one, and in year two, another property is purchased, and in year three, and in year four, that way every property is at a slightly different phase of its uh, operations plan, and you can have different levels of liquidity. Our fund, as an example, has a great deal of flexibility built into it like that, where our members at a certain point in time have the ability to liquidate a portion, if not all of their uh, position. And they also have the ability to add to their investments and to either open additional accounts like retirement accounts uh, or to simply add to their existing accounts already. That flexibility was an important part of the criteria we had when we designed the fund. And if you have interest in that, I'm happy to talk to you about it. If this sounds interesting to you, there are other sponsors out there that have funds that may or may not be structured this way. And that's something for you to explore uh, with them. 
Can you replicate that at home with your own investment portfolio? Yes, you can. You need to follow that same strategy of laddering investments. So that would mean if you're buying a fourplex, you need to buy another one the next year and another one the next year and another one the next year. And you may be in a position financially to be able to do that. Or you may be doing it with smaller single family properties, condominiums, things like that, where over the course of five years, you could put a portfolio of four, five, six, seven properties together. And then every six months, nine months, year, you're going to have a liquidity event, a sale or a potential refinance. And then you can take a look at what your cash needs might be from that standpoint. So there are ways to structure real estate so that you can mitigate some of the illiquidity. You can't get rid of all of it because, as I said, even if you are in a position where you could refinance or you could sell and harvest cash, it takes time to do those things because even though there's a market for it, right? There's a market for debt. There's a market for the sale of assets. The process that's involved is lengthy. It is not the same as deciding tomorrow that you want to liquidate all of your holdings of AT&T or whatever it might be that you happen to own in the stock market. So uh, great investments, different than stocks and bonds. One of the reasons we think everybody should have some because it helps diversify your portfolio. Be mindful that the money you put into a real estate investment should be money that you most likely don't need for the next three years on the short side. We encourage our clients to be thinking more in terms of five years plus. And then after five years, you potentially have some of this kind of liquidity uh, opportunity that's out there. So I hope this helped, uh, un helped your understanding of the overall strategy behind investing in real estate, how it's different than other types of investments like stocks and bonds, and how you can deal with illiquidity because it shouldn't be something that deters you from investing in real estate. It should be something that's just understood going in. So you're putting the right kind of dollars in, not dollars that you're using in two years to send a child or a grandchild uh, off to college, uh, but money that's maybe part of your retirement that you don't need for 10 years or for 15 years, something along those lines. So I hope you found this week's session valuable. Don't forget to swing by marapolling.com and check, check out the Learning Center. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And join me again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling.